How's everybody doing? Good? You look good. Welcome, 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 welcome to RUF. So good to see you. It's been a great year. Um, my name is Brian Thomas. I'm the RUF campus minister, just in case we got any new folks out there. So good to see you. Really glad you're here. Um, RUF is a campus ministry for Western Carolina. Uh, we're a great place for you to grow uh, in your faith. Uh, we're also a great place if you wouldn't really consider yourself spiritual or religious, but you are curious. Uh, this is a great place for you to explore. I explore the truth claims of Christianity. That's what we do. Uh, we, we take the Bible, we take Jesus real serious. We don't take ourselves too seriously, which is always a good combination, right? Uh, anyway, well, this semester we've been looking at this guy named Abraham, his story, the story of Abraham, which is mainly in the Old Testament in Genesis 12 to 25. But um, we've spent the last couple weeks in the New Testament. Uh, and then tonight we're going to be in the New Testament as well, but we're still talking about Abraham. Uh, and, and I thought it was good for us to spend a semester not only in the Old Testament, but looking at his story for a few reasons. One, Abraham is a significant character, like one of the most significant characters in the Bible. And so, uh, the more you understand him, the better you understand uh, God. The better you understand God's redemption. Even the better you will understand Jesus in the New Testament, I think, if you know Abraham and his story. Uh, also, the other thing uh, is... Looking in the Old Testament, looking at a story of like Abraham, right, you really get a sense of the Bible is one connected story, one grand story of redemption. And that's important because it's real easy to think certain parts of it are better than others. It's easy to focus on the New Testament, but it's all God's word. It's all breathed out by him. It's all good for us. Uh, and so we try to spend some time in the Old Testament looking at different books and passages. Um, and then another thing that's been cool is we have looked at every major section of the New Testament. Last two weeks and then tonight we're going to be in Hebrews. Um, every major section of the New Testament has talked about Abraham. Like Abraham has been a huge deal. The whole New Testament talks about it. Uh, and so we need to get acquainted with this dude. Um, and then last thing I hope we see, I hope you've heard me say, and we've actually seen it, is that no matter where you are in the Bible, everyone is saved by faith. Everyone has always been saved by faith alone. Uh, and so, that's a little intro, just kind of bring you up to speed, remind you, refresh, all that stuff. Tonight, we're looking at a passage in Hebrews, Hebrews 11. And so you've got, a pa you've got it printed in front of you. If you've got a Bible, you can go there. Hebrews chapter 11. Read the book of Hebrews. Can I just throw that out there? That's free. It's not my notes. Uh, it's phenomenal. Like, it would do you so... It's one of my favorite books in the New Testament. It really is. And it's so much easier to understand than that guy, Paul. Like, I mean, really, who knows what he's talking about? Uh, Hebrews is great. So get, get some time. Read it. It's fantastic. We're in chapter 11. Uh, we're looking at verses 8 to 16. Uh, a friend of mine did... Uh, as a campus minister in Tennessee. He did a whole semester of large group like this every Wednesday night for a whole semester just on Hebrews 11, the whole chapter. And people loved it. It never got boring. It didn't get redundant. It was amazing. And so it's an amazing chapter. Uh, if you get some time, go back and read it. Anyway, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. You can just follow along with me. By faith, 
Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah, that's Abraham's wife, uh, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, spiritual descendants, as many as the stars of the heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Uh, these all died in faith. Now, these all is referring to the people that's been mentioned in chapter 11 before this. Noah, Abel, so forth. Just go back and check it out later. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for your word. We know that you give it to us because you love us. Um, I pray now that you would use it um, uh, to continue to speak to us now. Would we hear it? Would you help us listen? Would it be encouraging, comforting, challenging? Would it be all the things it needs to be for us? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, many years ago, in England, there was a circus elephant. Uh, his name was Bozo, not the clown, right? His name was Bozo, and he was like super popular. He was adored by people all throughout England, but one day, there was a sudden change in the elephant's personality. He would charge people, like if they came to his cage, right? Freak out. Uh, several times, this elephant tried to kill his keeper. Uh, and so the circus owner was like this greedy, cruel man. He decided, some of y'all are going to be like totally freaked out. He decided to stage a public execution of the animal. Yes. This way, this is why he did it, so he could sell tickets and hopefully some way manage to get some of that investment back. To like make a little bit of money because he was losing so much for such a valuable animal. Well, the day came. Huge circus tent was packed. Right? People wanted to see this. That's kind of crazy, the thought that people like really want to... Anyway. Boa, Boa. Bozo was in a cage. He's in the center stage. Thousands of people gathered around to watch him be executed. Uh, and so you've got him in the center, and then you've got a firing squad, people with heavy... Heavy, powerful, like rifles, okay? Elephant guns, right? <laughs> Big guns. 
or over there. The manager was about to give the signal to fire their weapons when out of the crowd came a short, regular, average-looking man in like a brown derby hat. He, he walks up to the manager. He says, there is no need for this. And he said it quietly. wasn't aggressive. Uh, the manager responds, he is a bad elephant. Like, he's going to kill someone. Uh, and he kind of just shrugs him off. But the man keeps going. He goes, you are wrong, insisted the man. Give me two minutes in the cage alone with him, and I will prove it. Ooh. So, all right, said the manager. And he pulls out like a waiver, the kind of thing you have to sign before you jump out of a plane. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he pulls out a waiver, and he's like, sign this. The guy's like, okay, the small man signed the paper. The door of the cage was unlocked. The small man steps inside. The cage door is shut behind him and relocked. So you get the short man in the cage with Bozo. At the sight of the stranger in the cage, what I mean, Bozo, was, he got aggressive. Started like shaking his head, throwing his trunk. And then he did the thing they always do right before they're going to charge you. He lowers his head and is about to charge this small man the small man started to talk to the animal. He began to speak to Bozo. And, and people could barely make it out, but he seemed like he was speaking a foreign language. And so anyway, he keeps talking. Slowly, the man continued to talk. As the man continued to talk, the elephant raised his head. All the aggression from this elephant seemed to disappear. Uh, and the, the man walks over to the elephant and begins to pet him. And the next thing you know, Bozo was like a big Labrador puppy. Uh, just a happy elephant. And they start just kind of walking around the inside of the cage together. Right? And so the audience goes crazy, like in excitement. This is, I mean, they were there to watch him get shot, and he's not. So maybe it was like, I don't know. But they're super pumped. They're clapping, cheers, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, the man leaves the cage. And as he walked over to the manager, he says, he'll be all right now, referring to the elephant. He'll be all right now. You see, he's an Indian elephant, and no one here spoke his language. And this guy did. That's what he was speaking when he was in the cage. No one spoke his language. And the guy said to the manager, he was just homesick. He was just homesick. And after that, the man put on his coat, the short man put on his coat and left. The manager, like, you know, eyes are like this big, just astounded. He's kind of like, what just happened? Um, He looks down at the waiver that he made the man sign before entering the cage. And it was signed... Rudyard Kipling. Yes, the famous Kipling who wrote The Jungle Book. That was him. Which is kind of fitting that he speaks animals' language, right? Uh, He wrote The Jungle Book, which is in the movies right now, just in case you didn't know that. Um, The elephant was homesick. What? The, The elephant was homesick. I think homesickness, you immediately connected with the animal, didn't you? Like, homesickness is something we've... Like, everybody can understand. Like, we've all been there at some point. Like, we've all been homesick before. And maybe you haven't. Uh, but I bet you can relate to, like, 
there's a deeper longing, the, you know, a deeper longing for home. Not just the one you experience when you're like five and you're having to sleep at a friend's house and they're creepy and you just want to go home and you're home. Like, not that kind of homesick. Like, there's a much deeper homesick, I think, that we experience, like on a spiritual level, like a cosmic level, like something internally inside of us. We, we long for home. Maybe that's what you're thinking. Maybe that resonates with you. And you know what I'm talking about. It's like this restlessness. You feel it. I talk to you. I hang out with you. I know. I've experienced it. It's this restlessness you feel in this world. Like things just, just seem off. Like things just don't seem like they're the way they should be. And I think we'd all agree with that. Um, like you sense it. At some point, in some way, we all long for a better place. A place to call home. You could say that way. Um, I'm convinced, uh, and I think the Bible is pretty clear, that this homesickness that we experience, this deep longing for home, even when you're at home and the most comfortable you could be, you still feel it, right? Because it's, I think it's, it's a spiritual problem that we all experience. And the Bible is pretty clear about that. It's ultimately a spiritual problem. And so Abraham feels it. He felt it. Every person mentioned in Hebrews 11 has felt that tension. The tension of being here, like you're here, but you don't always feel at home, right? Especially Christians. But what's amazing is you can talk to people who wouldn't identify as Christian or religious or spiritual or any of that. You could talk to Christians. Both, no matter what, can relate. Like they understand the tension. The tension of like this longing, like feeling not at home. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to, add, we're going to look at two things. We're going to look at, at our way home, because it's in this passage, our way home and our future home, right? Uh, another way you can think of it is, you know, what is our way home? If you want to form a question, like what is our way home? Let's start there. Hebrews 11 was written to and for people who were beaten up. Uh, like they were constantly under the threat of persecution. And so the author of Hebrews wants them to endure. Like he wants them to make it home. And they will do this by faith. Right? Uh, in fact, that phrase, by faith, shows up ten times, over ten times, just in chapter 11. By faith. That's how we're going to make it home. Hebrews 11 defines faith actually at the beginning of the chapter. We couldn't read the whole thing. Um, But at the beginning, in verse 1 of chapter 11, it says this. It defines faith this way. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And Abraham is one of the best examples of this. Like... Three of the world's major religions look to Abraham as a great example of living by faith. Another way to put that is 70 to 80% of religious people on the planet Earth think Abraham is a great example of living by faith. Put it in some perspective. Uh, And so what does it look like to live by faith? And we're going to check it out here in this, this passage. There's so much. I literally, at one point, I had like six subpoints, and I was like, I can't, we'll be there until 10. And so I had to trim it down. So I'm going to give you some of the, what I, I feel like I must say. 
First thing you'll notice, all right, what, is it, what does it look like to live by faith? First thing is it starts with hearing. Uh, look at verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was what? Called. Abraham heard the call of God. There's another great place in the New Testament in Romans 10. doesn't matter if you know where that's at. Don't worry about it. Uh, in Romans 10, it says faith. So faith comes from hearing. Interesting. And hearing through the word of Christ. You can't live by faith. Like you won't be a Christian unless you hear the call of God. And today the call of God comes through his word. Okay? The Bible. Like in the Bible, God tells you this is the way home. This is how to be part of my family. Trust me. How are you going to respond to that? That's the call, right? Okay, so hearing. Let's move on. Um, What does it look like to live by faith? It involves obeying. Abraham heard the call of God and what? Look back at verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, Abraham... Faith leads to obedience. Another way to think of it is faith means you do stuff. The guy that did the whole large group series on Hebrews 11 for a whole semester, that was the title of the series. Faith means you do stuff. That was it, which is, I think is brilliant. Um, real saving faith will disturb your life. right? Faith will, will disturb your life. You will want to do things you've never wanted to do before. right? Like You'll care about things you've never cared about. I remember this, my own personal story. But like, for instance... You will stop sleeping around. You may not be good at it. Like you may not be good at stopping, but all of a sudden you're just going, you're, you're not going to like it. Like, well, you actually probably will like it. You will not like the guilt you feel afterwards. You're like, wait, I used to have guilt-free sex. Now I'm having guilty sex. This sucks. That's exactly what's going to happen. Like all of a sudden you just want to stop. Why? Because faith will disturb your life. Um... You'll stop dating losers. Like, you'll, 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 like, you will. Like, you'll start thinking, oh my gosh, like, they don't care about their faith at all. Why would I want to date them? Like, you'll start, you'll start thinking about that stuff. Like, it'll get in your way, it'll get in the way of things. It will stop, it will disturb your life. You'll stop dating people you shouldn't. You'll start caring about things you've never cared about, right? Like, the church. All of a sudden, church is important. Like, whoa, this is a big deal. Jesus said he died for the church. Oh, my gosh. I better, I better check this thing out. Uh, you'll start caring about, you're like, you'll be generous. Like, yeah, generosity. Jesus cared about that. You'll care about the poor. You'll care about sharing your faith. And we could go on for days. Like, you'll start caring about things you've never cared about. Like, you'll start talking to people you used to totally ignore. Just because they're people. And they're created in the image of God, and you want to love them just like Jesus has loved you, right? Um, Why do we do this? Like, why do we start caring about things we used to not care about? Why do we start, like, stop doing things we used to do? I mean, it's crazy. Why do we do all of this? And here's maybe the best answer to that question. Because you're not the most important thing anymore. Like, you start obeying, and you start taking those things seriously, when all of a sudden there is something, someone more important than you, and that's God. 
God is more important than you. And so the next thing you know, you start doing weird stuff. Right? Uh, let's keep going. So good. So obeying. And then the last thing that we're just going to hit real quick is transforming. Living by faith is also transforming. And here's what I mean. Like, it has power to change you. Um, change what you love. Look at verse 9. By faith, he went to live in a foreign land. He went to live in a foreign land. And that is, what does that mean, really? You know, it's, Abraham gave up everything. Comfort, security, safety, family. Like, he gave up all the things that we really love. He gave those things up to go be a stranger, to be an alien, to always be an outsider, and to live in a tent, which some of y'all know that you think that's cool. Um, it wasn't that cool then. Um, he never had a home, so to speak, right? Abraham gave all those things up. Like, faith, living by faith will change the things you love. For example, you can give up what brings you security. So whatever that is, think of something that brings you security. You can give that up because all of a sudden, like, God is your security. He's the ultimate greater security, right? You stop needing the approval of others because, at the end of the day, you have God's approval. Now, that's that's not an excuse to go be a jerk. And to just be a pawn, right? And be me? No. But at the end of the day, you don't, you don't live for others' approval because you have God's. Like, others' approval doesn't have power over you. Um, a friend of mine that lives in St. Louis, Missouri, he gives, no exaggeration, he gives 40% of his income away. 40%. He started at 30. His goal is 50. He does it every year. 40% to the church, to charities, to the poor. He only lives off 60% of his income. Why does he do that? Because faith has power. Like, faith has power to change the things you love. My friend does not love money. And what's so cool about that is he, if you could apply this to anything, money could never love him back. Like, he, he's not going to love something that will never love him back which is money, and we could go on power, careers, success, reputation. We could keep going. He doesn't love money. Now, let me just clarify a few things. Living by faith is hard. You are going to suck at it, okay? Sometimes, if you're like me every day, um, it's just you're going to suck at living by faith, right? Just know that. But Jesus loves you. No matter what, right? Y'all need to hear me say that because some of you are already like feeling weighed down and guilty and like, man, I'm a lousy Christian. Um, Jesus loves you. Okay, but that doesn't mean don't try. Don't like try, okay? Don't hear what I'm saying. Um, I'm not saying you have to do any of these things. I'm not saying you have to do all of these things. Uh, but ultimately, our way home is living by faith. And that shouldn't always be comfortable. It shouldn't always be convenient. It shouldn't always be safe, right? I mean, look at verse 10. Verse 10 is so good. For he was looking forward, that's Abraham, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham lived by faith in the present because he looked forward to something 
better. Like he knew nothing in this world has the kind of foundations he could trust in, he could hope in. He always was looking forward in hope and trust. And here's what you need to hear. You will, I promise, at some point you have already, you will try to make this world and the things of this world home. You will. It's the struggle of the human heart. You will try to make this world and the things of this world home, but they cannot guarantee what your heart longs for. They will not. No matter, even when you have them, you will still be restless. You will still not feel at home. C.S. Lewis. Everybody, hopefully, knows who C.S. Lewis is. Uh, if you don't, he's an author and uh, wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, right? But brilliant man, became a Christian, was an atheist for 40-something years, became a Christian late in his life. Brilliant. One of my professors in seminary thinks there are more Christians in heaven because of C.S. Lewis than any other Christian that's lived since Jesus. That's a pretty bold statement. And, and I think I know where he's getting that from. Uh, even than Paul, which I'm like, well, Paul was an apostle, so I don't know if we can really consider you know. Uh, anyway, C.S. Lewis said this, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Right? Like nothing in this world will ever bring you home because you were made for another one. Right? All right, let's keep going. Let's talk about that future home, right, that, that C.S. Lewis was getting at. I think it's really interesting how this passage describes our future home. Uh, our future home is described as a city. Some of y'all don't even like that already. Uh, every time, no, but it's amazing. Every time this passage talks about our future, it talks about a city. Look at verse 10. What's the last thing it says? All right? Who's desi- the city? For he was looking, Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Keep going. Look at 16. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them. A city. Our future home is a city designed, built, and prepared by God. Um, The Bible, this is fascinating stuff, the Bible begins in a garden and ends in a city. Fascinating. Jesus was born in a rural community and finished his work in the city. Right? His whole ministry was a journey to the city. Keep going. Every time the, the Apostle Paul, uh, if you're new to the, like the Apostle Paul wrote a third of the New Testament, right? Uh, every time he would go on a missionary journey, he would go first, every time, he would go first to the city. Most of the letters are actually written to cities. Are they not? May, Corinthians, Corinth, modern day New York City at that time. He would go to the cities. Now, I would love to explore, like, why cities are important. It's fascinating stuff. I got my wife laughed at me because I really nerded out this week. I was like, why are cities so important? I was just like, mm-hmm. <laughs> woo. 
Uh, I'm going to spare you all that. Uh, but with the little time we have, like, here's what I want to, here's what, I think it's better to talk about why the city of God mentioned here is what you long for. Uh, first, the city of God, it says it has what? Foundations. Which means it is permanent, it is unshakable, and eternal. We want that. Because nothing around us is permanent. And we experience that tension every day, right? There is nothing certain about your life. And you know that. That's why you have anxiety. There is nothing certain about your life. We, all of us have experienced death in some way. You get a phone call at 5 a.m. and your close relatives die in a car wreck. You didn't see that coming. Nothing, nothing is permanent. Your friend loses a job. Your friends lose baby. Like, it's wild, the stuff I've seen, because I'm a little ahead of you now in life. There is nothing permanent. There is nothing certain about our lives. We long for the city of God, something that has foundations, because nothing around us does. It is all sinking sand, right? Second, the city of God is sinless. Here's what I mean. There's no separation. Like, God will walk with us and not be ashamed. And that's what you want. God will walk with us and not be ashamed. It actually says that in verse 16. I want to read just a little section of how the grand story ends. Like, where are we headed? What does the future look like? I'm going to read this to you. It's going to take one second. This is from Revelation 21. It's talking about the future. Kind of the culmination of everything. The restoration of everything. This is what it says. This is what John saw. And this is from Revelation 21. And I saw the holy city. Uh Uh-oh. And I saw the holy city coming down out of heaven from God. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Y'all ready for this? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. The former things have passed away. And then it says, Behold, I am making all things new. Guys, that's the city of God. That's what you and I long for. We daydream about it. We try to find it in so many things, in so many places that this earth has to offer. We long for the city of God. There's an author I discovered recently uh, named Jeremy Huggins. Uh, he's not, I, don't, I don't think he's super famous, but he's writing, and he's enjoyable to read. Anyway, he's from Memphis, Tennessee, and so I know I could eat some barbecue with him. He's got great barbecue taste over there. Uh, anyway, he wrote an essay a while back on beauty. Uh, And there's this section of the essay that is just super engaging, intriguing, compelling, all those things. Here's what he says. And I want you to follow along as if he's asking you this question. Imagine God appeared to you and said, I'll make a deal with you if you wish. I'll give you anything and everything you ask. Pleasure, power, 
honor, wealth, freedom, even peace of mind and a good conscience. Nothing will be a sin. Nothing will be forbidden. And nothing will be impossible for you. That's the deal God's making, right? He keeps going. You will never be bored and you will never die. Except this. Only you shall never see my face. You shall never see my face. I remember I was reading it and I got to that line. I remember my heart stopped a little bit at that last line. And I just kind of paused in the moment and I thought about like, why am I so uncomfortable right now? And with that, that last phrase, it was good until that last phrase. You know, like, it, why, why am I so unsatisfied despite all the other stuff mentioned that could be mine? And here's what I realized. I think we've all realized. When you get to that last line, you realize that all that other stuff is not your real desire. It's not my real desire. We want to see the face of God. We may not know it, but our home is with Him, not His stuff. Right? And so, two questions for you to ponder as we, as we close it up. If you're a Christian here tonight, you would identify as a Christian, the thing I want you thinking about is this. Are you living by faith? Like, has your faith disturbed your life at all? Or is it pretty comfortable and convenient? Right? You need to wrestle with that. And then if you're here tonight and you wouldn't identify yourself as a Christian, um, that's fine. I'm really glad you're here. So glad. I'm glad this is a safe place for you to come and just think through things and and not experience any judgment because you will not. But this is what I want you to know, especially as we close out this semester. You have heard the call of God tonight. And if you've come before, you hear it every Wednesday night. And the call of God from his word is to trust in his son, in his son Jesus. And so will you respond to that call with faith or rejection? That's the question you want to ponder, you want to think about, you want to answer. And this is what I'm going to say to all of you. This is the gospel. Jesus experienced homelessness so you never have to. He left his home so you could have one. And he did that because he loves you no matter what. And that is good news. He is a great Savior, and you can trust in him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being so great and good and kind to us uh, would, would you help us wrestle with some of these questions? Would you help us think about our faith? Uh, think about home. Would you just meet us where we are? Would your spirit work? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.